said, we got to give you applause for everything you have to do. This one we have part two of Psalm 91. So we'll let you know because I think it's a, I, I think if you really enjoyed last week, amen. If you didn't hear it, go listen to it online. We got it online. So come on up here, Miss Amy. Well, since last week, I've been praying something over us. And that's not that we're just going to do a teaching, but it's going to be an impartation. So I want us to deeply receive the Word of God. You know, I was thinking where we left last week. We left on the note of, you remember Dunkirk and the chaplain laying in the sand? There wasn't a way in the world he could make it with those bullets going across him. And yet when he stood up, remember... His exact body shape was in the sand from where the bullets went across him. So we saw that God has a shield. And then secondly, we were looking at a story of a Marine that had been in our Bible study. And Jake had heard Psalm 91, and he said he took the craziest assignments he could take. Because he knew that God would be with him, and he could hear my mom's voice speaking the Psalm 91 lesson to him. And as we did this, my kids, you know, had texted me that morning and said, hey, guess what happened to us in Grapevine, Texas? We were at the Whataburger. This guy has a gun, and he's in the lane with us. And I thought only crazy college kids would think that's a great idea so they could pray over everyone else. So Psalm 91 is a part of your everyday life. Now, some of them are sitting over here that had been on that military retreat. But I was going to tell you, just like Jake could hear those words going through him. I'm believing this will soak very deep into your spirit. And I want to say there's something that's different. There's a difference between feeling like you're bulletproof and knowing that you have the power of God on you that you can stop a bullet. There's a difference between those two ideas. This is the power of God. In our own selves, we don't have any power. We have no ability to protect ourselves. This is something that is the power of God for your life. We're going to start out with that concept that Psalm 91 is what will literally protect you from what is literal harm, literal bullets, literal things coming at you, that you can literally trust that God's promises are true. So we'll begin in verse 5 and 6. And I like this because it carries the idea of four categories of evil. Now what's interesting about this protection, it's 24 hours a day. It's day and night protection. If you read it's night, day, darkness, noon, you can see the Lord's telling you I protect you all through the day, all through the 24-hour cycle. I protect you. But note something that it begins with. It doesn't begin with the four words that it gives you that God protects you. It begins with one little thing that we call fear. Do you see it in the beginning? Each one of them is the fear. It's the fear of the terror, the fear of the arrows, the fear of the pestilence, the fear of the destruction. The first thing that God wants to deal with you is fear. And it's the fear of these things that are coming up on the earth. It's the fear that causes our hearts to to waver. It's the fear. And so he's dealing with the idea that you are fearing, that we have a fear of these different things. And this is what he deals with first. Because fear gives us open doors. So the first thing you deal with is not the evil, but the fear of it. You know, I think about Tara. Terror is a real life thing that we're living with. You know, God doesn't promise us a world that is free from danger. But he promises us protection in it. This is a very risky world. Very risky. I was thinking about terror. It can happen to you in an instant. It can happen so fast you're not expecting it. I know I was coming home from college with... Uh, four of us in the front seat of a cab. My brother was driving. We had two of his girlfriend. No, we had two girls with us. And so <laughs> we were coming home from college. It was an eight-hour drive. And suddenly, an 18-wheeler turns into our service lane. Now, he was going the wrong way. 
And we're in a truck with four of us in the cab, and we're watching as this guy keeps going towards us, and it's going to be completely a head-on. He's in our windshield. We prepare ourselves for the collision that's about to happen, and the one mistake we made is we all closed our eyes. Because it's that moment when you know there's no way to get out of this. And as we're about to have that complete impact, all four of us at once yelled, Jesus! It was just like all four of us cried, and when we yelled, Jesus! That's when you can't pray anything else. That's a one-word prayer. When there's nothing that comes out, and we opened our eyes, and where the truck had been to make collision with the front of us, now the truck was behind us. We don't know what happened. We don't know how he got from smacking us straight in, going the speed we were going, and then he ended up behind us. You know, we had something to talk about the rest of our ride home. We were all talking about, wow, this is amazing what the Lord did. Jesus, Jesus. And it was on that ride home that later the thought hit me. How about if all four of us had yelled, horse manure. <laughs> you know, horse manure has no power. And so when my crossliner told that story, this was the story she was remembering that I had told. And she had yelled the horse manure one, two, three times. And she quickly changed it to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's where the power is in the name of Jesus. Don't be calling on the God of horse manure. It doesn't have much power. It can't do anything for your life. You've got to train yourself that in an urgent situation, you call upon the name of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. You know, I was seeing that God could deliver us from something that suddenly happened. When all you can get out of your mouth is the word Jesus. So sudden terror is one of the worst kinds. Then there's not terrors. Have you ever experienced terrors in your dreams? This is your verse. That God can deliver you from the terror at night. You know, the next one that he says is he delivers you from arrows. And you know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of the movie Robin Hood where they're shooting all the arrows. And the arrows are not just normal arrows. Think of what those arrows were. They were flaming. See, this verse talks about flaming arrows. And he says he delivers you from most of them. Doesn't it? What does it say? What does Ephesians 6.16 tell us? He delivers us from all the arrows. And you know, I had this subconscious thought. Have you ever done this? You do something for the Lord. You have a mighty victory. You have something goes really right. You feel like you're taking some ground for the kingdom. And you have this voice whisper inside of you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to pay you back. You know what that voice is? It's the voice of reprisal attacks. Where you think you've got to pay a pound of flesh for everything you do for the Lord. Some of you struggle from that, that you're afraid. You're afraid of the enemy getting you. You've made kind of a deal with yourself. I'm just not going to do anything, and then the enemy won't target me. And that's not what the scripture says. It says that God will deliver us from the arrows. And so you know what I say? Because I feel it sometimes. I've gone against something, and you feel like those, those powers and those principalities that Ephesians talks about. And you can feel it literally like you're up against the gates of hell. And this is what I say. I tell those arrows that are shooting at me, you're going to miss me and you're going to hit the cross. You're going to completely miss me and you're going to strike the cross because that's where you were paid for. And so I'll speak to that voice. I'll speak to those reprisal attacks and I tell them, I don't have to pay for this. Jesus paid for something that I cannot pay for. He paid a debt that I cannot pay. And he paid that these arrows would miss you and hit the cross. You don't have to pay for this stuff. That is called grace. And that's what God does with reprisal attacks. 
And then the next thing that he talks about is pestilence. Boy, we hear a little bit about pestilence, don't we? Remember what pestilence means? It means these fatal diseases. It means plagues. It means contagious things that wipe out masses. It means epidemics. Look the word up in the Hebrew. And it says something interesting here. It says that pestilence stalks. Isn't that a good way to describe it? It stalks like an animal. It's looking. It's looking. It's prowling. You know, it's things that are weaponized against us. It's on a global scale. It's man-made entities that have been demonized against us. They stalk. And I'm going to tell you something that I found that's helped me. If it acts like a spirit, treat it like a spirit. Because this thing is like a thinking entity. And this is something that you use your authority on. It's something that comes after you. It's more than germs. It's more than something you get on your hands. It's literally something that prowls. And you know, if this pestilence is like evil incarnate, if it acts like it, if it's twisted, if it mentally messes with you, if it tries to put hurt on you, if it has the nature of a python spirit where it tries to choke the breath out of you, if it tears families apart, if it isolates, if it's cruel, then use your authority because it is acting like a spirit. And there's something about this pestilence that stalks. And this is something that you can say, I will not fear this entity of pestilence that is trying to wipe our lives out. The destruction. It's the ultimate thing. The enemy tries to steal, kill, and destroy. His goal is completely to destroy you. If you ever start filling the punches, one, two, three, get them stopped because the destruction of the enemy waits for us. Destruction. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was raised in a Christian family. But she said she could never remember one time where her family ever said, let's pray about this, or let's quote a promise. Think about your family. If you tell me it was Christian, did you ever get a promise of God and stand on it as a family? Did you ever do those type prayers? Is the word really real to you? Like where it really makes a difference, where you really believe it, where your word is relevant for your life right now, where it affects your daily life. You know, I was thinking about my family. My family really lived Psalm 91. They really lived it with my growing up. You know, they were always telling stories about what God did. Still, to this day, we're constantly telling stories of what God did. You know, and there was a time, and of course, this is one that you may remember if you've read some of the stories that my mom told. But it's when destruction comes. And our whole family was in bed, and a tornado starts coming for us. Now, think what you do during a tornado. So my parents, at this point, it's when I discovered my parents are unusual. <laughs> There's something different about them. So, you know, they had heard, everybody was in bed, but my dad had turned on the radio, and he heard that there was a tornado that was spotted south of the country club, and it was coming straight south, and we live on a hill that is directly south of the country club. Well, my dad started praying. He didn't get a piece. And so <clears throat> what does he do? He pulls us all out of bed. Now, my brother and I both had friends spending the night. So he pulls everyone out of the bed. And I just remember I was wearing footed pajamas and a hard pain uh, football jersey. You know, that's what we were wearing. And I was out there. And that's when my parents said, okay, now we're going to speak to this tornado. 
And you know, tornadoes have a funny feeling. There's a certain way that it feels when a tornado's coming towards you. And so, you know, I realized there was something odd about my dad. He would read those verses about Jesus speaking to the storm. He really believed them. I mean, he really thought this stuff was true. I mean, when Jesus got up and said, peace be to the storm, and oh, you faithless generation, how much longer am I going to have to keep doing this for you? I mean, he thought that meant he should do that. And when he thought he should, he got us up out of bed. And it was then I realized I don't have Psalm 91 memorized. So that my parents were saying, quote Psalm 91, and I thought, it's pretty urgent. And so we're out there, and we're praying. Now, the React Club is parked down on the lane, and they're calling the radio station, and they're giving them reports. You know, these the only people crazier than us are these people that chase these tornadoes. <laughs> they're a little bit crazier. Well, anyway, they were down there, and they were making reports, and, you know, they were quoting what the React Club was saying. And as we began to use our authority, the guy was playing all kinds of hilarious songs on the radio. I mean, I don't know if I appreciate it, but he was playing Heaven Can Wait. He was playing all kinds of different ones. But when he heard about the tornado, at the very moment my dad said, okay, I've got a piece. They said the tornado had gone straight up, back up into the heavens, and the wind had dissipated. Well... You know, Psalm 91 was something that my family used in every situation. But I started realizing that I was living a different life than a lot of kids around me. You know, we were in school. The next day I was at Howard Payne. I realized that normal people do normal things. Like everyone else was in the bathroom with mattresses over them. I mean, their parents took them to safety. I thought, this is the craziest thing. So when they asked what happened to me, They couldn't even believe that my dad would drag me out of bed. And not only am I telling it, but it also is everyone else that was with us that night that was scared. That my dad just drug us out there to face it. And that's what the Lord's telling you is that you face destruction. You've got to turn around and face it with the word of God. This will show you how much of the word that you have down inside of you. You know, that you have the scriptures where you know that God has this shield around you and that is his word. You know, I was thinking about my dad. He used to take me everywhere he went. He would take me to lay hands on the sick and uh, he also took me to lay hands on some that were past being sick. (laughs) I mean, I got to experience some things that I don't have words for of watching the power of God. And this is what I would tell you. My family really believed it. What about your family? You know, are you a family like my friends who's never written up a covenant and signed it of what these promises mean to your family where they don't talk about the promise or take action or pray about your promises, pray about your problems together? Let me just tell you, you have an exciting life to live You're missing out. You know, the way I wanted to live my life, I wanted to see if this stuff worked. So I started out going into jungles where it's crazy. Started smuggling Bibles into countries that were communist. I started seeing if this word was exactly what my parents had said. I wanted to see if God would answer my prayers and not just my parents. You've got to train your kids with the word of God. This is where you will come to the place where the word that you put down in your kids, they'll believe it for a lifetime. You know, verse 7 is that famous scripture in Psalm 91. It's a scripture of immunity. A thousand falling. Ten thousand falling. You know, we could say, we've seen that. We're looking out our window. So I would say that this verse here, verse 7... It's the conditions of extreme spiritual warfare. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. But look at this. But it will not approach you. Interesting statistics. A thousand to one. Ten thousand to one. 
In some ways, that represents the Christians that are going to stand. For every thousand, sometimes there's only one that's really going to take God at his word. You know, in some ways, I think this reminds me of Israel being at war. <laughs> you know, the enemy will lose a thousand. They'll lose one. You know, a whole country of where God has so put his hands on that country that they say that West Point can't even study their wars because they don't make sense with statistics. Because this verse is their promise. A thousand will fall. You know, these are the statistics of those who walk in protection. But it will not approach you. It will not come near you. You know, it's an odd verse because in this verse you play the part of only an observer. You're watching. Look at what the rest says. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. So you play the part of an observer and you see the wicked's reward. Recompense. It's a very interesting word. Make amends to someone for loss or for harm suffered, compensate. That the wicked get their reward. You know, we've been talking about distinctions. Pastor Todd's been talking to you about the law of separation. This is where it starts here. And it's dividing between those who know God and the wicked. It's that pulling apart you know, God has held us all together by mercy and grace. But a certain time of judgment has come where he has drawn a separation. And right here in verse 7, you see it, where you only observe as the thousand fall, as the ten thousand fall. And it distinguishes the believers from the wicked. The believers are separated from the unbelievers. You know, if you operate in you know, what we call soulish compassion or sympathy. Many people's mental strength, many people's mental stability starts to collapse at this point. You know, this is probably the hardest verse for me, is watching people fall when God has given them a choice to repent and to follow him. You know, it's like watching the daily news and crying. It's like you can hardly take seeing what's coming on this earth. You see people and they're blaspheming. They don't know God. They're not calling out to him. And we're living in a time of where it's horrible of the results of people. You know, these are the odds. And we witness the fall of the wicked. But I want to take this verse and I want to read it just a little more specific. A little more where it hits home with us. But it's the concept of the unbelieving unbeliever and the concept of the unbelieving believer. See, there can be an unbelieving unbeliever, but there can also be an unbelieving believer. You know, I just felt like the Lord told me last week, you need to repent. You know, if when Peter was walking on water and he began to sink and God called that doubt... I would be going, look, <laughs> look at those people in the boat. <laughs> look, what do you think about, about them? Like, you think that Jesus would have encouraged him? Like, wow, you did good. Next time you'll do even better. But you know Jesus, he goes, why did you doubt? And I said, Lord, I have a lot to repent for because sometimes I'm an unbelieving believer. Lord, take this doubt out of my heart. Like we're living in crazy times. It takes your stomach away. And this is where you, you say, well, it's easy to say, well, this is an observation where I watch people that don't believe. But this is an observation inside of you where you say, Lord, where am I not believing you? Are these promises extreme? You better believe it. Sometimes I think the Lord does this to test us. You know, like I said, he doesn't even get excited until we get into the impossible realm. Like the Lord is bringing us to this of saying, are you going to trust me? And you see this as the Lord begins to refer to it. Is this referring to families who never pray with their children when their children are under attack? 
Do you have this thing of thinking, oh, I can't pray with my kids. How about if God doesn't come through and, and they don't believe in God anymore? This is addressing that doubt where you never, ever find a time in your life where you take your problems and you find a scripture that God gives you that your spirit leaps up and says, this is the verse. I'm inviting you into this world where you share the testimonies around the table and you have colorful stories of what God does for you. I mean, I'm inviting you to go into some of the darkest places on earth. I'm inviting you to go to the prisons. Right here we have a youth prison. And to start preaching and experiencing the power of Psalm 91. I remember one night the Lord was telling me, um, you haven't prayed Psalm 91 or any protection promises for a long time while you're out there volunteering at the prison. You know, because I started having that idea I was kind of bulletproof. You know, it's not the same. It's coasting. It's passive faith. So the Lord told me, he said, I want you to start praying it for three weeks. I thought that was funny. He gave me a time period. And um, I was in a group, and I stood in front of this guy. With There were about, oh, about 30 guys in the dorm. And I stood in front of one, and I said, the Lord's telling me you need to repent for some evil that you planned. It scared the staff so bad when I did that. They came back to me, and they said they had caught the guy. He was planning on grabbing me and using me as a hostage to get out of there. And in, in a whole crowd, I had just gotten near him, and the Lord said, tell him that he needs to repent. I didn't know I was the one he was going to grab. I mean, I was a little disappointed. I was thinking, wow, that would have been a great story. But the Lord had told me, he said, start praying this psalm. Start praying. And so for three weeks, I'd been praying, and it broke up the attack. How many things is God telling you, you've got to pray over? These are where you can have crazy stories, calling each other, that God's really alive in your life. This is time for you to enter into that covenant that God has given you for protection. Now we're going to move from verse 8 to verse 9. Now this is usually the verse that we overlook. It seems like it's just a repeat of verse 1, so if I'm trying to hurry up and save time, I should just skip verse 9. But I want you to notice something about it. It says, For you have made the Lord my refuge, the most high your dwelling place. Well, I'll tell you something funny that happened. Verse 1 and verse 9 are a lot alike. And so we were over in Israel, and we were working on the Psalm 91 translation in the Hebrew. And we were invited to dinner with Orthodox, which was kind of unusual. But the reason they invited us to dinner is because they were Texas Jews. And they were Orthodox, they had just come over. Well, we enjoyed a great dinner. They loved the Psalm 91 book. Things were going really well until she decided to read the Psalm in Hebrew. And when she read the Psalm in Hebrew, she said, Oh, y'all got your language wrong. Your language is wrong on this. You're translating it wrong. The word is actually complaining. It doesn't mean dwelling. It doesn't mean abiding. It means it's a complaint to God. Well, being the friend she was, instead of dropping it at that point, she put out emails to everyone she knew on her email list. I mean, she blitzed Texas, she blitzed Israel. I mean, emails were going in every direction. And of course, I had a sinking feeling because, you know, I don't even know English real well. I just know Texan. And I sure am struggling through the Hebrew. I told Steph, I think the Psalm 91 book is wrecked. I mean, the umbrella of our protection, what are we going to do? So I decided I must go to the Jews. So I found a friend who's a medical doctor over there, and I said, take me to a scholar. So she took me down south to the Negev, to a scholar. And she said, look at this word, look at verse 1. Is this saying that I'm pouring out my complaint to God? What does this word mean? And I remember hearing him laugh. And I've never heard words so beautiful that came off his lips. He says it means you hotel with God. You abide. You dwell. And I can't ever read verse 1 and verse 9 without thinking, I've come to live with him. 
I've come to lodge with him. This is a verse of growth. He started laughing. He goes, who told you it meant complaint? He goes, she needs to pay attention to those jots and tittles in the Hebrew. He said it in a very sophisticated way. But I realized one little dot of their pen can change a word's meaning. And he said, oh no, the word is forever dwelling. And I thought, you know, I'm never going to forget this. That we're not visiting with God now in this verse. We're staying. Something's taking place. We've grown since verse 1. Verse 1, we're looking at him. And we're trying to get there. We're trying to find that connection with God. That intimacy with God. Trying to find that place under the Father's arms. But by verse 9, it says that I have made you my refuge. You are my dwelling place. I'm hoteling with you. I'm dwelling. I'm lodging. You know, then you look, and it's it's the thing that I promised you. In verse 10, it's the third time it addressed sickness. Boy, do we need this. But it talks about no plague will befall you. Is the Bible for us right now with what we're facing? You know, I was reading, and I just found this, but I didn't realize that the Japanese did to the Chinese a lot of what we're experiencing today. I found this research that they released in the 90s, and it's called Unit 731. And it's horrifying information. You can barely stand to read it. But it's very similar to what we're seeing today, where they were deliberately infecting people with the plague. If they were doing it in the 40s, what do you think they're doing today? What do you think about the researchers? None of them went to prison for it. In fact, America gave them stipends and buried it deep. Yeah, these plagues are real. They're put on the people. And the word here is the same word that they use, and it means plagues like that they had in the land of Egypt. And what we need to find is that remarkable place that the Lord has called the land of Goshen. That place of protection. You know, Revelation 3 verse 10, everybody should have this circle in their Bible. It says, I will keep you from the hour of testing that is about to come on the whole earth because you kept the word of my perseverance. I will keep you from the hour of testing. You know, the plagues, you look at it in Exodus 8.22, that these people were set apart in the land of Goshen. 9.4 gives you that part in Exodus 9.4, the distinction, the separation in order to protect you. That it can be mass chaos going on around us, but the hurricane has an eye. It can be all the craziness of this world, but you can live under the hand of the Almighty. And this is what this is talking about. This verse says something so interesting because tied with it, it tells you a very personal protection. It says no evil will befall you. Now that's a verse we should stand on, that no evil will befall us. So in these scriptures of Psalm 91, you see twice, He names the pestilence. Once he names the plague. The Lord is speaking to you. Telling you. That he has a realm of protection for you. Where no evil will befall you. It says nothing will injure you. You think of Luke 10, 19. Nothing will injure you. You know. I would invite you to pray that prayer. In the Lord's prayer. And really mean it. We say it here, it says, lead me away from temptations, testings, and trial. The words Pierzo, it's it's all three. Lead me away from these and deliver me from evil. So this is your verse to pray. Lord, I ask you that no evil befall me, that nothing will injure me. It's a very personal verse here. You know, when I was young, I used to crawl into my parents' bedroom at night On the floor, I'd go crawling in while they were sleeping. And I would go over to their bookshelf, and I would remove their books. 
And I would pick out a book, I would read it during the night, and then I would put the book back. I never wanted my parents to think I was spiritual. (laughs) So I would put the book back on the shelf. And so at night, I would read about all these people that had believed God's word. And I read about this woman, and I have been looking for this story ever since. But I'm going to tell you a story that shook me. And I never forgot it. You know, World War II is one of my favorite times in history to study. And this lady had sent her son off to war. And so it was during the 40s, and she had prayed for his protection faithfully. And time went by. And all of a sudden, she got something that no mother ever wants to get. And she got a letter from the War Department. And it says, we regret to inform you that your son has been killed in action. She was flushed with emotion. She was stunned. She was devastated. She had prayed for him every day, every time the Lord had nudged her in her spirit. But suddenly, she felt something rise up in her. You know, sometimes crazy just rises up in us. She laid her Bible on the bed, open to Psalm 91. She laid the letter next to it. And she looked up into heaven and she says, Lord, I cannot believe them both. One of them is lying. And she battled for some time. And you know the feelings as a mom has is she's battling through. And she's contending and she says, I cannot believe what I've been praying and standing on. And I cannot believe this letter at the same time. I cannot believe them both. And after much anguished prayer, she said, Lord, I've made a decision. I choose to believe your word. It took some time. But she got another letter from the war department. And it was an apology. They'd gotten the dog tags mixed up. They'd been switched. And her son came home. And I'm going to tell you, there's sometimes you're going to have to lay Psalm 91 down. And lay it next to the worst report. You cannot believe both. I've had to do that. Where there's been some contradictions. There's been some things where the devil has messed with my mind. He plays with your head. But there's times when this is going on and I feel the struggle. And you feel that faith rise up within you. And I cannot believe what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. But I must believe what God says. You know, mother was on a radio interview, Lester Summerall's station, and the lady asked her, what do you do when Psalm 91 doesn't work? I looked at my mom. It was only a, she only had 10 minutes. They flew us up there for 10 minutes. And my mother looked at her and said, what do you mean? Every single time it feels like it doesn't work. And I thought, that's true. That's the difference between living the stories and reading the stories. You're going to be having a book where you read our stories. You want to live them. The emotion is there where literally it felt like every single time we were going to be wiped out. I don't know what it is. Why our minds don't believe that God's done it before so he'll do it again, but every single time seems scary. Every single time seems impossible. You're like your mind's going crazy, the doubt. And that's where you have to lock yourself in on the promises of God and what he says. One wise man said once, you need to put the word in you when you don't need it. So when you do, it's there. To learn this during peacetime, in your morning devotional time. You know, like the lady that's our friend Mary Johnson. One of you worked for her, but she was kidnapped and here in Brownwood. And she was up in the mornings praying her devotional. 
never knowing that she would need the power of God to get her away from one of the most dangerous people we had had locked in the jail. It's amazing. Then it moves into from individual protection into family protection. Isn't that good? Verse 10. Praying for your family. Where it says that it won't come near your tent pegs, your borders. You know, I want you to think about who do you cover? Who's under your household of protection? You know, those covered by your tent. Now, I'm going to tell you, this one to me is the tricky one. And the reason this one's tricky is because you're standing for someone else. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed your children? They have a free will. <laughs> and sometime in that free will can be a little rebellion. <laughs> and you're having to stand in protection for somebody else. There's a verse in the Bible, and it tells you there comes a point with children. They must stand for themselves. They've got to own their own faith. But parents are doing everything they can, and grandparents, to stand for protection for kids that don't take one thought about what God's will is. Some of you, you got praying grandmas is why you're alive. Mm -hmm. That you had things before you were saved where God protected you. And so I'm going to correspond this scripture here about having tent protection or household protection with the idea that we're drawing nigh to the time of distinction, to the law of separation. And I'm going to speak to the kids. And I'm going to say, it's time for you to own your faith. It is time for you not to make someone else do all the praying for you. This is for you to stand up and grow up and own what God's going to do through your life. You know, in this land of the separation, I'm going to give you some tools. It's the power of crying out. It's the power of, I think, the loudest baby is heard in the nursery. That there's times where you just cry out your soul for that person that you love. You feel something coming towards them. You know, that ability inside of you where you're willing to do conflict. Some of you say, God, I'll do anything you want me to, but not conflict. And sometimes you need to bring a little conflict into your family. You need to say, this is the house of the Lord. And for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Get out of bed. <laughs> you know, my dad never yelled that at me. He was deranged. He would get a glass of water and pour it in my ear. <laughs> Something about water in your ear, you can't sleep on a Sunday morning. Conflict, crying out, a willingness to do it, intercession, compelling, contending. This is where your child comes to the point that they own their faith. Near your tent, your faith covering. You know, it's interesting to think God has wings, and so do you. There are people you're praying for that only you are praying for them. I call my oops people. Only one praying. And there's people in my life nobody else prays for them. And God has assigned you some oops people to pray for. Your faith covers them. They don't even know how to pray. You know, I'll tell you a funny thing about being under the wings but I got a little video clip someone sent to me a while back, and it was a, a convenience store, and it was an armed robbery. And so it had made the news, and they were telling what had happened, but the guy had come in, and he pointed the gun directly at the lady at the counter. And, of course, this lady says, with all of her faith, she says, I'm protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this is just like war room. So the guy turns the gun and points at the guy. And he said, I say what she says. <laughs> they both made it out of there alive. You know, literally, your faith will cover someone else. And sometimes the best you can do is, I say what she says. <laughs> Some of you have been pointing at your grandma for too long. <laughs> Think of who your faith covers. You know, my mom prays that Psalm 91 every single day. 
She prays Psalm 91 protection. Now, what's interesting is it moves to something that shows me that God is completely committed to your protection. By the time we see in verse 11 and 12, he talks about agents of protection. That God is so committed to you being protected, he's given you unseen bodyguards. Wow, that's quite a detail to surround you. That God gives you something that literally his job is to keep your feet from stumbling. And in his wings, they'll bear you up. You know, in Psalm 103.20, it says that angels obey his word. If you're not speaking his word, you have inactive angels. Just mark this verse out of your Bible because you're giving them nothing to do. Because the angels obey God's word. So you've got to be speaking God's word. You know, wherever you go, they go with you. You're quoting the word, doing God's will, uh, speaking his word. And then they bear you up. Now, there's a story back there in the book of one of my favorite people. Now, this will divide the crowd for sure, age-wise. But how many of you know who Jimmy Jimmy Stewart is, the actor? It's a Wonderful Life. Did you know he has one of the strongest stories on Psalm 91? Like he had a nervous breakdown when he was flying these bombing raids all over Germany and finally flew into Berlin. And one night he realized, I'm not coming back alive and neither am I men. He was like, it's getting to be too much. And as his mind started reeling, he remembered the prayer that his father who had fought in World War I had slipped into his pocket. And he had been praying Psalm 91 throughout that whole war. And he grabbed those words, and this is the verse that came up. His angels will bear you on their wings. Google his graveyard tomb. This is the scripture that's on his tomb. They had a saying about Jimmy Stewart. If you flew with him, you're for sure going to come back. He knew the power of Psalm 91. You know, I think of our mission trips, and we've had some close calls with planes, and their wings bear us up. Now, move in your Bible to verse 13. This is the one that I call the authority of the believer scripture. It's different. It's unusual to have an authority of the believer scripture in the Old Testament. There are many in the New Testament But here's an authority of the believer in Psalm 91. Now what do I mean by authority of the believer? What's meant by that is you do it. God doesn't do it for you. You use the authority that God has given you. And so many people are living as children. They expect God to do it for them. But the authority of the believer is where you take what God has given you And you use your authority. And he names all sorts of dangerous, poisonous beasts. Lions and young lions. Snakes and dragons. It's interesting his list that he has here. And of all things for him to tell you that you'll do with them is you'll put your foot on their head. You know, I see lines. I don't think about standing on their head. (laughs) But that's what authority looks like. You take the worst thing that Satan's throwing at you and you tread on it. You leave footprints on it. You do not let it intimidate you. The roar only tells you he's coming. You face it. You know, you look at uh, the snakes and they're the sneaky things that attack you. So in the morning time, I ask the Lord, let me have the authority I need for any sneak attacks that the enemy has for me. The young lines are the repetitive attacks. The dragons, vain imaginations. Some people fight unfounded fears. The wicked flee when nobody pursues them. And they live a life completely in fear. You know, also dragons could be those battles that you have of epic proportions. This is your time to ask the Lord in the morning, Lord, don't let me face any problem that I don't have the authority I need 
to overcome this problem. Lord, I just received the authority. I know sometimes the disciples tried to do something and they failed. Other times they did it. Lord, I just spend that prayer time, that intimacy, that fasting time to, to receive the authority I need. And that way I'm praying for my authority before I ever face it during the day. Where I don't get in the situation and then I try to muster up the authority. Like the guy who uh, was uh, having the thief break in his house and he runs to the back and he starts lifting weights. And they go, what are you doing? And he goes, i got to beat the thief coming in the door. You've got to have that authority already worked out in your morning time so when you face your problem, you're ready for it. You know in your heart, I'm not going to face anything today that God and I can't face together. And I will use my authority. Now, you're going to see something. You can even draw a line in your Bible. The language changes at this point. Your English teacher would look at the shift of how the grammar goes here. But it's a dramatic shift in Psalm 91 where it takes in something very personal. And it says, this happens to you because you have loved me. It's so personal here. Because you have loved me. It's a relational ship protection. You can put your name in this slot here on our one we wrote out for you. From here down, don't put your name in it unless you're really loving. Are you loving with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? You know, at this point, God starts doing something unusual in Scripture. He starts gushing. You know what I'm talking about. Like a man in love. Men gush when they're in love. And you know, men make promises to women they love. And women hold on to these promises. When you're old, they still remember what you promised them. <laughs> and they're holding it against you. <laughs> women take it to heart. And the only language that I can describe here is that God acts like that. That he's, he's, he's opening himself to you in a way that's so different you know, I understand as being a slave to God. I understand the friend of God. But here is the gush of love. It's those promises that come flying out of his mouth. Because you love me, life will be like this with me. Circle our part up to now. You, got, you say that you may take refuge. But now he's moved you to because you've loved him. I'm going to do these things. And you see him just rapid fire off of his lips. You know that God speaks their dialogue. And he speaks directly these promises to you because of your love. You know these final two verses say a lot. I want us to look at these promises. Because if you don't think that Psalm 91 is presumptuous up to now. It really is. These are presumptuous promises. They're crazy. It only comes from like someone in love. You remember your promises. I'll give you the moon, the sun, the stars. <laughs> the promise is made. And you see God move into this as his love gushes for you. He gives more promises as he goes along in this psalm. He ramps them up. He expands them. And he enhances them. This is what we're moving into. The promises of love. First he said, I will deliver you. Some of you need deliverance. <laughs> I will deliver you. I'll leave that one alone. But then he says, I will set you securely on high because you've known my name. You remember a time when your dad set you up on his shoulders? That the Lord's promising us, I will set you up on high. This is not just Ephesians telling you you're seated with him in high places. This is an Old Testament verse saying he's lifting you on high with the most high. Think of where God sits. Sometimes I enjoy my prayer life of telling the Lord, 
wow, there's nothing higher than you. You're at the highest point in all of the creation you made. And you're taking me there with you? Think of the difference in perspective I have. Think where my problems are when I'm seated with the Most High. Think where my enemies are. Think, think where, where we are with the Lord. The worst thing that you have, you're seated on high with the Most High. You know, I see this as a play on words from the very opening line. Here is the Most High speaking to you, a secret place, a shadow. And now he's telling you, I'm lifting you where I am. It's said as a lover, come to where I am. Then he says, you'll cry and I'll answer you. There's power in crying out. You get delivered, pulled out of it. You know, there's an assurance here. Have any of you struggled and just think, my prayers just are not answered. I can't get my prayers answered. It doesn't seem like God hears me when I pray. I feel like I'm hitting a brass heaven. Approach him with love. Lord, because I love you, you answer my prayer. This is your verse of answered prayer. He promises you when you cry, he's not going to ignore you. He will hear you. Your, your lips, your words mean something to him. You know, when you love somebody, what they say to you means more than anyone else's. And he tells you, when you cry, I will answer you. And then he tells you, I will rescue you from trouble. Now, usually I have something every day that happens to me in this category. Like, uh, I think of how many times I've been in trouble. And I love the fact that God just constantly pulls me out of trouble. Think about you and trouble. You know, when you're in trouble or in pain, who do you tell? You tell the one that you love. It's the rescue. Then it says that God honors you. He respects you. We were the person, and she was in the military intelligence in Israel. And I said, would you read this to me in the Hebrew and tell me what it means? When she got to God honors us, she said, God respects you. How can he do that? How can he respect us? It makes no sense. And with a long life, I will bless you. You know, I look at my mother's book on uh, mothers in Psalm 91, and she tells a story of a baby sitting on top of a car in a car seat. And I think of times where I've needed Psalm 91, and we were driving in Dallas down a freeway, and the Lord said, quote, any scripture. And I could feel it was urgent, and I just screamed, long life. I was quoting this verse here, long life, I will satisfy him. When I did, the lug nuts on the car beside us popped out. And when I did, the tire came off, the car started turning, and everyone was in a collision around us. The person with me, it scared, scared them more than anything. Not the car, but me yelling, long life. <laughs> because the Lord had said, say long life. You know, what a promise to end on that God tells us at the collection of all the protection promises that he promises you long life. And then it says, so you can behold our salvation. I love the word behold. It's in the a New American Standard. And the Hebrew word for salvation, look at what it means. Deliverance, rescue, safety, protection, healing, security, victory. With the Jews in Hebrew, they said prosperity too. It's a, it's, a, it's a packed word here. And what this, this verse is about is what's going to happen with your eyes. What you're going to see in life. This is a contending verse. And here, this is where I pray and I say, Lord, I thank you. These eyes will not see disaster. But my eyes will behold salvation. They'll behold victory and rescue. That I'll behold the Lord. And I think of, you know, Leisha, when we found her in the woods, after she'd been there three days, five days, seven days, ten days, and then they said that it had gone from us rescuing to a recovery, to finding a body. And that's when Steph speaks to me and says, we've got to go there. The Lord's given me a word. 
And I beheld a girl laying in the dirt with her hair caught in the barbed wire as she was leaving this earth. And I had said, my ears will not fear evil tidings. Psalm 112, verse 7. And my eyes will not see terror. And my mind will not go mad from the things that I see. But I will see the deliverance of the Lord. Deuteronomy 28, 34, and 67. It is part of the curse that your mind goes crazy from seeing horrible things. And that's what the devil was painting with his paintbrush that he was showing me 105 degree days, more than a week of no water, blistering sun, no shelter, wild hogs, and copperheads. And the enemy says, you're going to find a dead body. And I said, I will behold the salvation of the Lord. My eyes will not see terror. My eyes will not see something that makes me go crazy. I didn't come out here to bring a dead body home. I came out here to bring a cross ladder home that I haven't seen in 20-something years. And that's what made the deputy believe. He said, if I had found a dead body, I had decided there was no more God. But if God did this, then God himself had done this miracle. You know, that's what you're contending for, are your eyes. That you will behold the deliverance of the Lord. That you'll behold the protection, the victory, and the rescue. This is not a thinking psalm. It's not just a believing. It's not just a something that's said or coming out your mouth. But it's a doing. I'm going to close with Jen. You remember, remember dear Jen at the beginning. The girl from Howard Payne. Remember Donna told her, Angie must hate you. For sending you into... Africa with not knowing Psalm 91. Well, guess what? Jen got really scared. I don't think she trusted me anymore, so she went and got my mother's Psalm 91 tape. She listened to it over 30 times. And then she went to Africa. Well, what happened to her? Well, she spent nine months over there and was totally protected. Until four days before she flew home. And these guys were hiding in the bush, and they were watching everything that went on in the village. Missionaries were the most in danger because they knew they have money. And Jen had more money in her hut than these guys would have in a lifetime. That night, there were gunshots. She's going to be home in four days after nine months. She took off running and she ran a long ways and she hid in a little room with a 23-year-old missionary. They didn't dare light the kerosene lamp. That night, the rebels came into the camp and they attacked with machetes and they stole the cattle and the money and Jen could hear the screams and the gunshots. When they left, three people were dead. Two teachers and a pregnant woman. They knew exactly where Jen's hut was, but they didn't touch it. I said, Jen, what were you doing in that missionary's hut with no lights on? I said, I guess you had to memorize Psalm 91. I said, were you saying Psalm 91? She says, no. I was shouting it. I was crying it out. You know, you've got to say Psalm 91 out loud. It's extremely important in war, in combat, for missionaries, for church people, and for the days that we're living in. Amen. a covenant with God. It is Psalm 91, but we need to have this in our vocabulary because it's not words. It's power. My words, they are life unto those who find it healing to all their flesh. So I encourage you, family, to understand the covenant that God made with us and get it in your spirit. It's not just words. 
It is life into those who find it. Amen. Amen. Join across the aisles. Angie did a super job once again. I hope you were blessed. Glory to God. There are books in the back. Um, if you want to read Psalms 91, you need to have it so that you can preach this to whoever you need to preach it to. Um, also, we have a, they have a covenant where you can just uh, write your name in. Or, you know, it should read that, you know, no evil shall befall me, nor shall any plague come nigh my dwelling. For he has set his angels in charge over me. They watch over me. They keep me. You know, that, that, that's how you need to say this. This is your personal prayer. And then it's because I love you, Lord, you will be with me in time of trouble. And because I know your name, you will deliver me. With, and with long life will you satisfy me and show, you, show me my salvation. God, I just pray that right now, Father God, that you would bless this, your children, Lord, with the protection and a boldness in that protection, Lord God, that no evil shall befall them, nor shall any plague nor COVID come nigh their dwelling because they have made you their most high. You said if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. But our eyes would only see the downfall of the wicked. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I bless this. These, your children. May they go out into this week, Lord God, and glorify you. In the mighty, precious name of Jesus. Our Father. Lord, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. This is the day of daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of God. And everybody said, yee God bless you.